Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, today we're talking about the top 10 ways to use your midlife crisis for good. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. Okay, my friend, we're going to talk about something that is thrown around casually with people our age, and that is the good old midlife crisis. Now, I have to say, I don't even like using this term because it can be such a dramatic bummer. But now that I've been coaching midlife women like you for such a long time, I can see clearly that a midlife crisis or something like that can be such a good thing in your life. So that's what we're going to explore today together, how to turn the whole midlife crisis thing around for good. So now that I've got your attention, before we take a deep dive into all this good stuff, just quick, I have an exciting announcement. There's a new way to join the Women in the Middle Academy, my super fun and powerful coaching program to help you discover your roadmap to a more fun, meaningful, and regret-free chapter. Now, you may know that the Academy is my six-month hybrid coaching program for women over 50 that combines coaching, community, creativity, and curriculum to help you grow forward and get clear about what you want with the courage and confidence to go after it. I do my best to make sure that I have coaching options that match what you're looking for when you're stuck and you know that you want more. So drum roll, please. What's new is that there is now another great option for those of you who want both private and group coaching together. It's called the Women in the Middle Academy Deluxe. With the Deluxe option, you get everything the Academy offers, as well as an extra six months and 12 private coaching sessions. So it's a year of the Academy combined with private coaching to help you gain the clarity and momentum you're excited to make. Now, if this sounds interesting to you, especially if you've been on the fence about private coaching versus group coaching, please book your free no obligation momentum call and I'll give you all the details. Okay, now let's dive in. The dreaded midlife crisis. It can really loom large when you are A, getting older and B, feeling weird. Now, if you feel weird often, that's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) And that's me too, by the way, feeling weird often. I mean, if you're feeling off in some way, like in a funk, something's off with you, you're not sure what it is or how to fix it, and you're probably pushing 50 or 60-ish, something like that. My guess is that if you can relate to this, you are wondering if there's more out there for you or you're not feeling connected or inspired with your career. Maybe you're feeling a little unsure of your purpose with empty nest stuff going on. Maybe questioning your relationship or relationships in your life. Dealing with your aging parents, feeling angsty about your body, physical changes, and aging in general. Perhaps adjusting to your menopausal life or starting to think about your mortality more and more. Focusing more on regrets, maybe? This kind of stuff. You may have also wondered if you're having a midlife crisis. It's a super common thing to wonder about between 40 and 60-ish. In fact, you may have memories about when your parents went through something like this 
I remember when my mom got a sports car, a Datsun 280Z, in her 40s, and it crossed my mind. I thought that car was so cool, and I totally thought it was related to a midlife crisis of some sort. So if you Google midlife crisis, you'll find all kinds of classic symptoms from anxiety to boredom, maybe not being able to make decisions, becoming less enchanted with, uh, you know, what used to make you happy. Maybe you've gone through a major loss or a wake-up call with maybe the death of a loved one or perhaps even a personal illness or intense event or experience of your own. Like I said, you might feel more anxiety. You might feel a little depressed or feel bored. For me, boredom was a big deal. And like I mentioned earlier, it's common to feel this stuff, but if you're really concerned, you should always consult a medical professional. Um, As a woman, things like menopause might push you into this space. And if you have kids, you might be thinking about your eventual empty nest, or maybe you have the empty nest situation already, and that can always throw you for quite a loop. (laughs) And if you grew up like I did, you might also associate a midlife crisis with sports cars and affairs and maybe jumping out of an airplane or something like that, like with cartoons and sitcoms of the day. It's also a time of life when you may realize that your life might be halfway over. And that gets you thinking about your identity and if you're the person that you've always wanted to become. So the big question for today with all of this stuff that you might be thinking about with respect to it being um, a midlife crisis or not, is whether or not any of this kind of thing is actually a crisis. Think about it. And I have to say, my friend, that that is completely open to interpretation. I prefer to think of it all as a midlife funk more than a crisis, but that's up to you. It's a very personal experience. For sure, there's research about happiness and unhappiness curves that show us that people tend to dip into unhappiness around 50-ish. In many, many countries, you may have heard about a book called The Happiness Curve, Why Life Gets Better After 50 by Jonathan Rausch, and that talks about all of this stuff. He talks about the happiness curve as an idea that you can be satisfied with all parts of your life, but it can be a little harder in the middle. Uh, You're happier in the early years, then not as happy in the middle years, and then happy again later in life. That's the you. That's the curve. And he calls it a slump rather than a crisis. He experienced it, and so did I. And my funk, or slump, was right on schedule between 45 and 50, and I was stuck in a way that I never even imagined I could feel stuck. I just couldn't figure out how to unstick myself, and I was so used to being able to keep moving forward. It was such an uncomfortable feeling. It really surprised me. But let me remind you of the name of the book title. It's called The Happiness Curve, Why Life Gets Better After 50. So the other side of the slump is up, my friend. It's up. Even though you might be thinking, well, when we're getting older, when we're getting on that side of the curve, there's all this physical stuff. And for sure, most of us eventually experience significant changes physically. And when we think about it, uh, when we're not, seniors, it can be pretty scary. Even when you're relatively healthy, your body changes with age. So when you think about that, more aging related physical stuff and more happiness, like how could that even go together? (laughs) Well, that's the point of this episode. How can you use all of this midlife crisis or midlife slump or midlife funk stuff for good? How can you use it to help you? How can you use it to lead you in an upward direction 
toward more happiness, contentment, and fulfillment. So let's take a look at how you can turn the top 10 signs of classic midlife crisis for midlife women around for good. So this is what I've noticed, this top 10 list. It's not an official list. It's an official list according to what I've observed by being in this age category and in my community and with my clients and stuff like that. Okay, so number one, you've noticed you're not as content as you used to be. Now, this one was a big one for me, but I didn't really catch on so fast. The idea that I wasn't as content as I had been for years kind of snuck up into my awareness quietly. I thought I was confused. I thought I was bored. That's the way I was thinking about it. And when I finally realized that it was a lack of contentment, it made so much more sense because that awareness helps you ask yourself better questions. If you're not feeling content anymore, you can ask yourself these kinds of questions that will really help move you forward. So the thing is that you're going to end up approaching the answers with curiosity, and that is what does the trick. A better question will help you think better. So what does feeling content for you feel like? How do you feel now? Why don't you feel content anymore? What if you knew how to feel content again? And what is a great first step forward to feeling content again? You see what I mean? So you can take the problem and then we can use it for good. Now, here's the second one. You are surprised that you're so stuck. Now, this is a big one. As an amazing woman in the middle, you probably have a solid track record for being clear and making decisions. Now, however, you feel stuck and you haven't felt stuck like this in decades. It is so weird, right? I started the episode by talking about feeling weird. In the past, you've always been able to see a plan clearly and execute the plan. If you look around your world, what you have and what you've accomplished, look at all that stuff. Those are actual representations of decisions that you've made along the way about what you wanted. But for some weird reason, not so much right now. Super stuck. You find yourself saying things like, I just don't know what I want. Or if I only had clarity. You know it's odd, but you actually hear yourself saying this stuff out loud as well as privately to yourself in your head. Now, this can be a good thing because you know it's drastically different than where you've been. So start with noticing while you're feeling stuck and then notice what you're making feeling stuck mean to you. My clients often share that they feel it's going to be hard to dig out of this, right? It just feels so hard. So challenge yourself on this one. What if getting unstuck was easier than you think? And what about the idea that getting unstuck was actually going to be fun? Now, I, I really like you to think about the possibility for fun because we can really minimize it and it can really change everything. Now, number three, you catch yourself thinking a thought about running out of time. Now, you may have noticed that you're feeling more sensitive to the passage of time lately. You might say things like, wow, time is flying. And then you might also notice you're thinking about uh, running out of time to do what you want, that you're actually worrying that you will, in fact, run out of time and die too soon. Now, that can be a huge fear. Typically, you didn't think about time this way. It was easier for you to just enjoy yourself and be present. But now there's a backdrop of time pressure and you notice you're feeling a bit panicky about it. My friend, it doesn't have to be this way. You can be honest with yourself about your age and aging and also practice being more in the present moment 
and being grateful for the time that you have. Imagine thinking about this at least as much as you think about running out of time. It is totally an option. It can be a really good thing. Okay, number four, you're frustrated that you don't know what you're passionate about. I hear this all the time, the elusive passion project. You know so much about yourself, but when you ask yourself what your passions are, you're not as insightful at all. You want to understand this more because you sense it's important to be more fulfilled. You want to have a passion project. You want to be the type of person who has that special thing that she's passionate about and that adds so much value to her life. Of course you want to be that person, and it's probably stressing you out that you don't have it. So noticing this can really help you and being open to the idea that you don't need a giant project or an expensive, resource-heavy personal commitment, but acknowledging something you love and are passionate about is a great way to take care of yourself. It can be as simple as adding more of what you want into your life, adding more of what you love into your life, even if it's a little bit here and there, even if it's sprinkled on. And I have a great worksheet about this um, that you can get in the free section of my website too. Okay, number five, you're tired of wasting time living out of alignment with your priorities. Now, this is a really important insight. This idea is also time-related, but it's a little different. You actively feel like you're wasting time and it is frustrating to you. You don't want to waste time anymore, but just because you don't have a plan, you believe you're wasting time and it's constant frustration. And you also have some clarity about how you're spending your valuable time and you're getting more and more aware of the big disconnect. And that can really drive you crazy because you can see now how your priorities are not matching with how you're showing up and what you're prioritizing. You see what I mean? So now you know, you feel like you're wasting time, but you look at your life and you see there's a giant gap. You have these priorities, but you're not doing things that support your priorities. This is such a useful and motivating awareness for you to have. Once you have this keen awareness and see it, you can't unsee it. You just can't. And then it's clear and you have full responsibility for living the life you really want to live. Number six. You catch yourself feeling envious of women who've made a significant change and are happy. I love it when envy helps you grow. This is one of those cases. So you notice when you're not genuinely happy for others, when they do things that are really cool and courageous, like leaving their jobs or becoming an entrepreneur, or maybe they downsize their house and make a big move. Maybe they relocate to a beautiful part of the country, someplace you'd love to live or maybe to be closer to their grandkids, or even to a condo on the beach. (laughs) Or maybe they even retire. Now, it's not like you to feel envious, but you catch yourself asking yourself, well, why can't I do this? I want to do that. You might not feel genuinely happy for them. You might even feel a bit of compare and despair. So envy can be eye-opening. It's not like you to be a Debbie Downer when a friend has a big win and is happy with her life. That's not who you are, but you feel this envy sneaking in. So I just like to use it as something to help you see what you want. You can use this awareness for good. Challenge your own thoughts about what you want and what's getting in your way of going after it. Number seven, you notice a lot of autopilot thinking and doing in your life. Autopilot thinking is alive and well, and it is also sneaky because it can just feel so comfortable. 
The other thing is that it can just seem like the way it is, like it's not something you would even question or even do or think about differently. It just makes sense. It's who you are. It just seems like part of your life, right? So being on autopilot probably worked great for you a couple of decades ago, or maybe even for a few decades. You made some big decisions when you were in your early 20s and maybe late 20s and then put them in motion. And then you just kept doing the thing and moving in that direction. You didn't have to do all the re-evaluating. You didn't have to think about all your decisions and actions in the same way as you're doing now because it was making sense. It was moving you toward your goal. But now those decisions may not make sense for you anymore. You could use some checking in with yourself. You could see that you really should be asking more questions because the plan just isn't working that well anymore in terms of you being content and fulfilled. So it's kind of like everything's going along smoothly with the plan that you set in motion ages ago, but now you're not so sure. So it's going to take a little work to see what's going on. So question that autopilot. Number eight, you fantasize about doing more of something. Now you substitute whatever it is, but the idea is that you want to do more of something and you find yourself thinking about it. So maybe it's making green drinks or doing more art or writing or yoga or golf or pickleball, cleaning up your diet, taking more vacations, whatever it is. So you can make some substitution to these ideas. Please do. (laughs) I know it's not on everybody's list, but the women in the middle in my community constantly share that they really want to do more of these kinds of things. They dream about them. They crave them. What, what I notice I'm doing lately is I'm buying um, online art classes. <laughs> I'm not finding time to take them, but I'm like collecting them. I'm craving it. Uh, so what happens is I hear all the time about these desires with passion and longingness, right? You really want it. Now, noticing this is great. Being curious about how you make it happen more in your life is also great. Catching yourself getting in your own way is also great and even humorous sometimes. So (laughs) notice what you want and be curious about why you don't have it. Notice what you want more of in this example. Number nine, you know deep down there's more out there for you. Ah, I just love this so much when you notice it. It surprised me. It was another one of those things in that five-year period for me when I was stuck that it it just slowly became clear to me. I'm like, whoa, there's got to be more. I know there's more. So you know deep down when you simply can't deny thinking that there's something else out there for you, that what you're doing isn't fulfilling, and you know that you can live a more meaningful, fulfilling life. Like you can't argue with it anymore. Thinking like this can become almost painful. And the thing is, at this point, you're no longer willing to waste the valuable time ignoring it or coming up with excuses. So how can that not be a useful insight for you to own? Think about it. When you see it and feel it and it's painful and you're very aware of it, you just can't ignore it anymore. (laughs) You just can't come up with the excuses. And that is a very useful insight. It really, really is. So here we are, number 10, you don't want to have regrets. So this idea that if you don't do something about potential regrets, you will actually have regrets. In fact, you're probably clear about this. 
you might be positive that if you don't make a serious, intentional change, you'll have regrets about what you didn't do, what you didn't say, what you didn't try, and you really don't want to live like that. Like It becomes crystal clear, and it's frustrating when you're not on the other side of it. You just have that sense, and you start thinking about the things that you will likely regret. You know that if you faced your doubts and fears, you would have been happier. So if you would have taken that trip or if you would have gone to that university or if you wouldn't, if you would have broken up with somebody that you wanted to break up with but didn't have the nerve, like who knows? Who knows what it is? But there are definitely things we regret. I hear a lot about people who wanted to go one direction in university and they ended up going in the other direction because somebody told them they wouldn't be able to make a living or that they weren't really good at this or that. You know, we get these messages all over the place. And we start to think them ourselves and believe them. So after years go by, you you start thinking about it again. And when you start thinking about it with the perspective of regret, it's very interesting what comes to mind. So like I was saying, you're probably clear about this or more clear than you have been in other decades. You might be positive that if you don't make a serious intentional change, you're going to have some kind of regret. And the thing is, you... Like I said, you don't want to live that way. You know that if you faced what was bugging you, what was really getting in your way, back then you would have been happier. And you know it's time to regret-proof your life. That's what I call it, doing everything you can with intention to make sure you don't have that regret that you're concerned about. And the other thing that comes up at this point in your life is that you know it's up to you. Nobody can do this for you. You're like a mature midlife woman. <laughs> and I say mature, you know what I mean? You can still be silly. But like you're you know, it has to be you. And what I think is that when you have this realization about regrets and you decide to get out of your own way and do something about it, I think it's actually the ultimate form of self-care. I really do. So, there you have it. What I think are maybe not the top 10, but certainly a solid 10 (laughs) Um, signs of classic midlife crisis for women or funk or slump and how you can start to think about it differently to turn it around for good. So number one, you've noticed you're not as content as you used to be. Number two, you're surprised that you're so stuck. Number three, you catch yourself thinking a thought about running out of time. Number four, you're frustrated that you don't know what you're passionate about. Number five, you're tired of wasting time living out of alignment with your priorities. Number six, you catch yourself feeling envious of women who have made a significant change and are happy. Number seven, you notice a lot of autopilot thinking going on and autopilot behavior in your life. Number eight, you fantasize about doing more of something, whatever it is for you. Number nine, you know deep down that there's more out there for you. And number 10, you don't want to have regrets. Well, there you have it, my friend, my take on how to use these top 10 clues from your midlife crisis or slump or funk (laughs) for good. So here's the thing. You're not just older. You are actually wiser. Wisdom is something you can look forward to getting stronger in the upswing of that happiness curve post 50. Wisdom is something that that author, Jonathan Rausch, of The Happiness Curve, talks about too. He defines wisdom as the pragmatic knowledge of life. The pragmatic knowledge of life. So think about someone you think of as a wise person. 
Who comes up for you? I'm sure one or two people popped up in your mind right away. And think then, why is he or she full of wisdom? What is it about the way they are, the way they show up, the way they think that makes you consider them as a wise person? Is it about the way they cope with life or maybe deal with personal problems, maybe social problems, maybe relationship problems, like however you see them navigating? Is that something that really stands out? Or maybe it's the way they handle their emotions. Do you think of them as somebody who is, I don't know, reliable or emotionally stable? I think you'll notice that people you think of as wise, they're not just smart. It's not just about how intelligent they are, like with their IQ or, or maybe how um, accomplished they are or the extent to which they have a specific expertise in one area or another. People tend to know what a wise person is or shows up as. Like you can feel it. So it's typically not intelligence or expertise. It's knowing about life. (laughs) So there's lots of people who were not the top of their field, but they are exceptionally wise about life. They know how to relate to people. They know who they are. They're just deep that way. They just have wisdom. I remember reading some research about older workers, too, and how their emotional wisdom was a recognized strength in the workplace. So I love just giving yourself a second to think about who those people are in your life and why. It could have been somebody who had expertise or was exceptionally smart, but you're also going to think of people who weren't like that. It might be your grandma, you know? Very interesting. So think about that. Now, when the author of The Happiness Curve talks about the way wisdom balances strengths, he talks about it that it's this balance in many, many domains and emotional balance is a really big part of it and how it's reflective. So when you think about all of this and your personal trajectory growing forward after 50, you can start to see why there is plenty of room for more happiness, more possibility, and of course, more wisdom in all of its beautiful glory. So try not to be too freaked out by your midlife angsty funk. It might feel like a crisis here and there, but please also try to remember that there's more out there for you too if you can just get out of your own way. Okay, that is it for this episode. As you know, this podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice, especially when you think you might be having a midlife crisis. And this is how you put yourself on your agenda. So my focus as your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and focused on your current values and priorities so you don't have regrets. And I can help you create the success you're looking for. That's why I created the Women in the Middle Academy with you in mind, because it's a warm, supportive, and fun coaching community of like-minded women who grow forward together so that you feel great about your roadmap to a more fun, meaningful, and regret-free next chapter. So email me your questions and let's talk about it and see if it's for you. Go ahead and book your free no-obligation momentum call at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. If you want to take the podcast conversation to a whole new level, join the Women in the Middle Podcast Club by heading over to susierosenstein.com and click on the Podcast Club button. And finally, for show notes and links, head over to susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 328. 
Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.